direct from Cape Gun Works in Hyannis. You're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host, Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed... It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome, everybody, to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense, sponsored by the USCCA and Vortex Optics. I am your host, Toby Leary, and I'm glad you're here with me. Please make sure to like and subscribe to the show at rapidfireradio.us and all of our social media channels. Our handle is at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio all one word, whether you're on Twitter or Twitch or YouTube or Telegram or fill in the blank, X, we're there. So you'll find our content there. And I'm glad you're here with me. So anyway, uh, I really just cracked up laughing reading the comments. I guess, uh, Cockroach, you're going to have to reveal yourself and and tell me who you are because... uh, (laughs) <laughs> I can't even read it on the air. It's just so funny. Those of you following in the chat can will know uh, why I'm laughing, but I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll say it later. But anyway, this is Rapid Fire, your show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I am going to get the hotline up and running. So it's... Uh, 508-444-2120 to be on the show. And I have to uh, get that all set up. So bear with me. Um, I always do this while I'm on the air. Why should I do it beforehand, right? That that doesn't make any sense. Um, But if you want to be a part of the show, you can, and you're listening to this not live, you're going to want to... you're going to want to get signed up at rapidfireradio.us so you can get alerted whenever we go live. And I was surprised to see the chat was pretty active like half an hour before we even went live. So uh, you can participate in all of that and uh, get your questions answered a couple of different ways. You can leave us a message. You can um, send us an email and you can also um, chat along on the live show so we appreciate all those who do all of the above and um 
big announcement, breaking news, if you will. Uh, we have um, the show is going to be expanded, if you will. It's going to be uh, not just this live show on Wednesdays. We did talk about this yesterday a little bit. <laughs> so um, we talked about this a little yesterday that the I will be doing a one-hour show on Sunday from noon to one on WXTK 95.1. Um, it's the local FM talk radio show, and I'm really excited about that. So we'll be a, it'll be a call-in show live Sunday afternoon from noon to one. Um, so that's going to be, um, you know, different uh, than this show. I was originally going to try to um, make make them the same, you know, like try to push this show over to that or record this show on Sundays and push it out on Wednesdays. But the bottom line is I decided let's just do two shows. What the heck's the drawback in that? You know, I like to talk. I like to talk about guns. And um, so we're going to do that. And that's that's going to be a thing. So hopefully uh, you guys will be able to tune in. I, I will try to figure out the best way to do that. And the I think the best way to do that is going to be to listen on iHeartRadio which is going to be, um, you know, the iHeart app. If you if you want to download that on your phone, or you can go to iHeart Radio on your computer, and you can type in ninety five one WXTK. And I will send a um, a link on the. Uh, by the way, the phone is connected, so if you want to call the show, five zero eight four 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 twenty one twenty is the number, and. Um, I will post that in the comments as well. But um, the the bottom line is, um, if you want to follow the Sunday show, the best way for now is just to go over to the iHeart or over to iHeart or go to wxtk.com. Uh, it's 95.1 WXTK. And uh, yeah, so that'll be cool. I'm posting the number. Um, right now so you can call in if you want uh the 508-444-2120 and you guys will be able to do that you'll, you won't be able to click on it but you'll be able to uh dial it <clears throat> so we have um a lot to talk about because things are happening in real time and keeping us keeping people like me busy uh trying to follow along um, last time we spoke, the California Sensitive Places carry ban went into law, was stood down, if you will. There was a preliminary injunction issued. Then Rob Bonta sought an emergency uh, injunction against the uh, preliminary injunction or a, an emergency appeal. Uh, and the Ninth Circuit upheld the law so that the law would go into effect on January 1st. And then they reversed their decision. And <laughs> the Ninth Circuit has now said that it is unconstitutional. And therefore, 
um, the law has been blocked again. So this is kind of like the pistol brace thing as it happened with, uh, you can have it, you can't have it, you can have it, you can't have it, and now you can have it again. So you got to kind of pay attention to what the heck's going on in this world or else you're going to miss out. I want to read this story real quick and then we're going to jump over to Massachusetts. Uh, this is on ammoland.com by John Crump, who has been on the show. It's about time we get John Crump back on the show, by the way. Uh, it'd be it'd be nice to have him on because he's been busy. Everybody's been busy. But anyway, here we go. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has once again blocked the enforcement of California's new concealed carry law that went into effect on January 1. This order is a reversal of a decision made a week earlier by a three-judge panel from the Ninth Circuit that stayed a preliminary injunction by a district court judge. The administrative stay previously entered uh, is dissolved, the order reads. The emergency motion under circuit rule for a stay pending appeal for an interim administrative stay. It, it, to try to follow along with this stuff sometimes is maddening because I don't know who's staying what, I don't know who's enjoining what, and I don't know who's, you know, it, it's just the language is like so confusing. But anyway, the order means that the Californians no longer must worry about violating the law known as SB2. The law would have made much of the state a gun-free zone for law-abiding Californians. The new law was passed by California legislature and signed into law by how I like to call him, Gavinor Newsom, last year, much like New York State's Concealed Carry Improvement Act, CCIA, the law was passed as a repudiation of the landmark Supreme Court decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin that struck down all May issue laws across the country. So, as has been pointed out on this show and by Jim Wallace from Gun Owners Action League and by Mark Smith of Four Boxes Diner and basically anyone who's doing any type of Second Amendment content, the Concealed Carry Improvement Act in New York, SB2 in California, um, the Ballot Measure 114 in Oregon, uh, there was another measure in New Jersey that I can't remember the assault weapons ban in Illinois and what is pending in H4139 in Massachusetts is all a knee-jerk temper tantrum reaction to the Bruin case that happened in June of 2021. So what does that mean? That means everybody knows what just happened in the Bruin case, right? They reaffirmed the law in Heller as good law. And how they arrived at the Heller decision was taking the text of the Second Amendment and seeing if there's any restrictions there. Seeing none, they had to move on to the next logical uh, conclusion, which is the history of our nation when the Second Amendment was ratified in 1791. Now, everybody who's listening to this show or to any of those other uh, YouTubers I've mentioned all know this. I'm, not, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. And then if there's no historical tradition for the ban, then they have to point to a tradition of, um, you know, the ban. Like it, it was there 
and it was for the same reason. So Mark Smith did two videos in the last couple of days that are extremely poignant on this subject. One is on the what it actually means to point to the historical tradition or a historical analog in our nation's uh, history and in the text and in the tradition of firearms regulation in 1791. This is really important because he said uh, what courts are doing now, and we knew they were going to do it, is in a response to, uh, and I witnessed it happen at the state house in, in Boston. I saw Michael Day stand up before the podium to give historical analog for his H4139 law that they jammed up through last November. And what they all do is they point to a historical analog and say, see, there is a, there's a history in our country or a tradition in our country for restrictions on firearms. So because of this, we can do this. Mark Smith so aptly pointed out in a wonderful video and points out what it means to the Supreme Court to actually point out a historical analog. And he said it has to be done in a conjunctive manner. It has to be done in the how and the why have to be the same in order for it to be credible or a logical argument for said gun control ban. So fast forward, we have Concealed Carry Improvement Act, which was basically uh, an expansion of licensing. It was an expansion of sensitive places, quote unquote, which I love how he puts it. The sensitive places is a government mandated gun-free zone. That's all it is. When you hear sensitive places, you can insert a it's synonymous with government mandated gun free zone so the history or the how and the why have to match so he points out a lot of gun control has historically been upheld prior to the bruin mandate with interest balancing approach and what they have always done is they will point to something like uh in Boston, even prior to our country's founding and while our country uh, went through its founding formation and then afterwards, there were restrictions on how much black powder you could store in the home. Then they point to C, so because we could limit how much powder someone could have on hand, we can limit the magazine capacity. We can limit how many rounds can be in the gun. So they use a historic tradition and law, an analog for their justification of a modern law. However, the why is vastly different. So the why nowadays is because they want to infringe on the right to keep and bear arms. The why in the 18th century was because we all know black powder is a volatile substance and if you have too much and there's a fire, you could burn the whole city down. So it wouldn't just, you know, 
be a little smoldering fire that would set off the fire alarms and the smoke detectors and the fire suppression system would kick on and douse the flames. That technology did not exist in your concrete high-rise buildings in the 17th and 18th century. It was because all wood frame buildings were built in close proximity. And if you have too much black powder, it is volatile. It doesn't store well. To this day, the fire department, even with all the modern technologies I just pointed out, limit how much black powder you can store in your house. It's different from smokeless powder. It's a much less quantity than smokeless powder. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is the why is vastly different from the why you can't store so much black powder in 17th, 18th century. So the how is also very different. And again, it's conjunctive. So the, the enforcement of the black powder is you can't keep that much powder on hand. You can't now jump the shark and say, therefore, you can't have high capacity magazines. Doesn't work that way. So they got away with it because of the interest balancing approach from so long. But now the Heller and Bruin mandate, which is really the same, uh, which puts the burden of proof on the government to prove the historical uh, tradition and history of said gun ban and the high and the wow, the why and the how need to match. There's something else there, and that is the, the Supreme Court ruled even if you can prove a historical tradition of pointing out a law that is analogous with the modern law that you're trying to pass, it can't just be a law or two laws or three laws. It has to be manifold. It has to be many. It has to be overwhelmingly uh Proof. It has to be overwhelming proof that there is a tradition of banning or restricting said thing in 1791. So that was part of the uh, government's problem with Bruin is the all the historical analogs that they pointed to. I think they gave three examples. The Supreme Court said, look, we are not going to entertain a law that you can point to at the nation's founding or the 1791 that is inconsistent with what the second amendment says and scrap the whole second amendment because of a law or two laws or three laws in a county or a state that is not congruent with what the second amendment says so all that being said the government has a really high hill to climb, an insurmountable challenge. There is no possible way the government can produce the text, the history, and the tradition to support an assault weapons ban, a magazine capacity ban, a licensing scheme, a gun-free zone. Can't happen. It's not going to happen. So when the law was passed by uh, California legislature and signed into law by Governor Newsom, uh, much like the state's Concealed Carry Improvement Act that we just talked about um, that struck down all the May issue laws. 
the California was law, law was challenged by Reno May, who's also a popular YouTuber, um, in May v. Bonta, and he was joined in the suit by California Rifle and Pistol Association, Gun Owners of America, Gun Owners Foundation, Gun Owners of California, and the Second Amendment Foundation, the Firearms Policy Coalition, Orange County Gun Owners, San Diego County Gun Owners, and California Gun Rights Foundation launched their own legal challenge against the uh, law two weeks after May filed their case in its Carolillo, uh, Carolero v. Bonta. So in December, Dustic, uh, District Court Judge Cormac J. Carney ruled that the law was unconstitutional and defied the Supreme Court's Bruin decision. Um, the three-judge panel for the Ninth Circuit ultimately stayed his order. Uh, but SB2, SB2's coverage is sweeping, repugnant to the Second Amendment, and openly defiant of the Supreme Court. Judge Carney wrote, the law designates 26 categories of places, such as hospitals, public transportation, places that sell liquor for on-site consumption, playgrounds, parks, casinos, stadiums, libraries, amusement parks, zoos, places of worship, and banks as sensitive places where concealed carry permit holders cannot carry their handguns. SB2 turns nearly every public place in California into a sensitive place effectively abolishing the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding and exceptionally qualified citizens to be armed to defend themselves. So in addition to lifting the stay, the court also combined both cases. So now that Reno May case in the uh, Carolillo or Carrello Row, however you say it, um, case have been joined together now, which makes sense in my opinion. Um, oral arguments are set for April but the court reinstated the part or all of the stay before the court date. So this usually happens. They will give an injunction if it looks like they are going to win on the merits of the case. Um, and any court who would look at this challenge to the state's uh, egregious interpretation of the Constitution and trying to define all of these places as sensitive places um, could only on the surface come to the conclusion that this law is not going to stand constitutional scrutiny. So they've allowed this to be stayed and the law to not have any effect until the result of the trial. Um, one other thing worth noting about the gun-free zone thing uh, is the fact that, um, and again, Mark Smith from Four Boxes Diner points this out very eloquently, and I've talked about this on my show and on the Grace Curley show, is that in our nation's historical tradition, whenever there has been a calculated threat, and something that really got me thinking about this um, was a house I worked on in my construction business back in um, about 10 years ago on Route 6A. It's the old Kings Highway. It's one of the historic roads where I live, and it dates back to the 1600s. Uh, there was a house that we worked on that was from the late 18th century, uh, late 1700s, right around the time of our formation of our country. This house um, had something I had never seen before in a house. It was really um, original construction. There was no insulation in it. They were trying to make it into a year-round res residence, but they were trying to make it so that um, they preserved the historical tradition of this house. One of the things it had, which I was told a lot of the houses at the time had, was something called Indian shutters. So think about this. If you have 
glass windows, an arrow can penetrate the single pane glass. Uh, that that float glass of the time is very brittle. And a lot of times had bubbles in it where you could literally push your finger through it. So that glass wasn't stopping an arrow, a stiff uh, broad head on an arrow that's shot um, from a heavy longbow or a recurve bow. Um, so arrows could zip right through. So they would construct in what they called an Indian shutter and picture like a pocket door in the wall that would slide across on the inside, on the interior. Now you had exterior shutters that were fully functional that you could shut and lock. You could close your window and lock it. And then it had a third thing called an Indian shutter, which would be drawn across like a pocket door and lock in on the other side of the wall. There was a little pocket. And it was a solid one inch thick or three quarter of seven eighths thick uh, panel that was made out of hardwood uh, or pine, but it was a solid panel. And it would darken the room, of course, but it would also stop the arrow from penetrating through or the tomahawk or the rock or whatever, a spear. It wouldn't allow it to penetrate and continue into the room. I said all that to say this. There was a time when walking to church or walking to meet the meeting house or walking to work was a dangerous proposition. Or, and or I should say, there was a time in our nation's foundation when being gathered together in the meeting house or the church or your place of uh, employment meant you were sitting ducks, right? So you you could be um, you could have the place attacked by uh, British soldiers. You could have it attacked by bands of Indians. You could have it attacked by outlaws and bandits that were uh, prevalent at the time, and so. What did the Congress do about it? Did they say the church is now a sensitive place and you can't carry a gun or a knife or a stick or a tomahawk or an arrow or a bow? No, they passed a law that said you must carry your gun on the way to church, on the way to the meeting house, on the way to work and have one with you. If you're caught without your firearm, you can be fined. So that was government's response at the time to terroristic activity. Nowadays, government's response to terroristic activity is to put a sign on the fence out front and say, you shall be punished by 10 years in jail or a fine of $1,000 if you violate this order of a gun-free zone. And any psycho who's there for terroristic activity could care less about your sign. I know I'm preaching to the choir again, um, but the point I'm trying to make is somewhere along the line, we lost our minds and we decided, hey, whenever some psycho attacks people, we got to just disarm people so that the psycho has more defenseless people to attack like they did in California with SB2. Insanity, absolutely insanity. So we will talk more about this and the Massachusetts gun control that is coming our way like a freight train after the break. So you don't want to go away. I will be right back. I'm Toby Leary. This is Rapid Fire. Vortex. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. 
add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm Toby Leary, and I'm all riled up today. I'm all fired up. Um, so anyway, uh, we were talking about the historical tradition of gun-free zones in our country. And guess what? Guess what happens when you look at the historical tradition of gun-free zones in our history? You come up short. You come up pretty empty. Um, you come up with a big fat nothing. Uh, there, it's a nothing burger as I like to say, um, it's, it's a, uh, it's not something you can point to. And even Mark Smith says, um, quoting him a lot today, uh, that there's historical tradition of adolescents being prohibited from carrying guns on college campuses in our early nation's founding, but nowhere were the adults where the parents, where the faculty, where the um, staff in any way, shape, or form ever disarmed prior to the last 30 years. This is a relatively new form of gun control that will not stand the test of time. It will not stand the historical analysis. It will not stand. You can't point to colleges banning the carrying of firearms for 14, 15, and 16 year olds as a justification for banning the entire law-abiding population from carrying on campus. So there you have it. The number is 508-444-2120. If you want to be on the show, give me a call and we will... Now, just the facts now. That's right. We will talk about... Uh, all the uh, issues of the day, if you want to talk about or take me to task on any of this, I'm happy to um, debate it with anyone who disagrees with me. Um, I don't think too many members of this show uh, will disagree with me. But um, anyway, uh, we talked last week also about Oregon's uh, ballot initiative that got struck down as well. Um, and how big of a win that is. I don't know how much time we spent on it. I can't remember, but that was a uh, really good um, smackdown by a district court or a circuit court judge, I should say, who who struck the whole thing down and said, just because people might want it, like if you could pass it by ballot initiative, doesn't change the right. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Like if you put on a ballot that said, I want to prohibit you know, white people's ability to vote an election and everybody voted for it. And, you know, you, you wrote it into law and said, oh, the people want it. No, you can't do that. It's you can't supersede the the rights that are ingrained and enshrined in the in the Constitution and granted by by God. They're not rights that are given by man. So anyway, jump in the chat, too. We're going to talk. I'm going to take a lot of your comments in the chat today because we do have a guest for the second hour where I usually do that. So I'm not going to wait uh, till that, but all right, it looks like we got Don and Stoughton. Um, so we will go to the calls. Don, are you there? 
Yes, Toby. How are you today, Toby. sir? Oh, I, I lived through the great windstorm of yesterday. Couldn't That's, sleep, though. It's still gusting a little bit out there. Yeah, I can see the trees moving about. They're getting pushed. It's like 20, 30 mile an hour winds. But climbing any last night, I thought the, the side of the house was going to come off. It was unbelievable. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'd like to uh, reaffirm what you were saying uh, regarding the uh, college students in that one. I lived in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. There was a secondary school there. And through the years, whatever, they were digging up the old well, and they found all the cadet rifles that used to be issued to the children in the late 1700s at the school that was there. Unbelievable. So there, there was absolute intent that the children learn how to have uh, possess firearms and use them. But most of all, Toby, in 1862, the Militia Act was passed. In other words, if there were not enough volunteers to serve in the Union Army, the uh, Union or the Lincoln government would call up the militia. Well, with that, every secondary school, every, in other words, every high school, started the Cadet Corps. So that when boys entered at the age of 13 or 14, they were issued a gun that they used in the next four years until they graduated from high school. And uh, these cadet corps, they were well served in the military and they were praised even up until after World War II when magically the cadet corps disappeared in 1960, Toby. Mm. Unbelievable. Uh, some, of the, yeah. some of the best ranges were in high schools as well. Uh, some of the yes, first yes. indoor ranges, right? Correct, yes. I understand that at the old New Bedford High School in New Bedford, Mass., they still have a gun range there. And I'm just wondering why nobody hasn't picked up on that and opened up a, a gun shop there <laughs> and with the indoor gun range that's already in place. Hmm. Interesting. Now, you were talking about why laws are enacted. And I've broached the subject with you before. There's a case called Martell, which was about Massachusetts. Uh, the volume number is 222, and it's page 225. But it was on a simple thing. It was on a contract for a loan for money. And Massachusetts made it a law stating that both spouses would know about any loans of contracts for money. Hmm. Well, the, uh, the contract company the, the issuing the money took it to the Supreme Court, and they lost. The Supreme Court said that this was a concrete condition of a possible evil that a spouse not knowing that the other spouse has taken out a loan could jeopardize the family. So, yes, this law is necessary. So th this was just over borrowing money. I, I'm talking less than $100 mm. was the, the loan in this case. But the, uh, the government has to first prove that they have the privilege to enact a law, let's say, on firearms. There has to be something in the Constitution, Toby, that allows them to do so. And then even if that's in there, Toby, they have to prove the need for the law through concrete conditions. And that if they don't enact the law, an evil will, an evil will persist and endanger the public at large. And that's actually a perfect example of why they needed that law on storage of black powder in urban Boston in the 17th century. Correct. You know, because 
you could literally burn the entire city down when everything was made of wood. And, you know, so it was a law that was pretty obvious and necessary for the safety of the entire city. Um, and now they love to misconstrue that into saying, see, you know, you could limit how much, how much ammo you could have on hand. No, 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 no. That is not why it was done. It was done. No, it's, it's, it, there's no correlation between the two, modern ammunition with ancient black powder. In San Francisco, Toby, in the late 1800s, there were many Chinese who had laundries. Their mm. laundries were put up in wooden buildings. Well, the smart asses in San Francisco wanted to get rid of them, and they says, you have to put it in a stone building because you have fires to boil the water. This was yik Whoa! Went to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court said, there's, there's nothing there. Your, your comments, San Francisco, are ridiculous. There's no difference between a brick building, stone building, and a wooden building that are laundries. Hmm. Your law has no standing in the Constitution. Yeah, you know, it's it's sad we have to, like the saying says, fight for your rights, but uh, that's the, the way it goes. You just have to, uh, you know, I think something to the effect that mankind loves to tell other people no. Mankind, human nature loves to lord over people and they don't like freedom. Even in countries like America, people have a hard time with real freedom. They like, no, like, you know, Toby, sadly, I believe they're trying to justify their existence, justify their job. But have you ever heard of the Dred Scott case? This will be my last point. Yes. Dred Scott was a Negro slave who was taken up to Minnesota and he thought he could be freed because he was in a, a free state. But uh, under Article 4 of the Constitution, full faith and credit, the slavery of the slave state had to be recognized in Minnesota. The rights that were protected there had to be protected in Minnesota. But I went to the courthouse in St. Louis, Missouri, and you can see the courthouse under the big arch there as you look to the west. And I was in the courtroom. Well, the argument of the, uh, the day was is that Justice Taney, the Chief Justice, stated that Dred Scott had no standing. He was not a citizen. But Taney went on to say further on page 417 that if Negroes were citizens, they would have the right to keep and carry arms from state to state. Hmm. If they were citizens, huh? Right. Now, now, wait a second. Uh, but, but some lawyers might say, well, that's just mere dicta. Well, no, it isn't. That was the argument Justice Taney was using to prove that Dred Scott was not a citizen because if he was, he, like every other citizen, could keep and carry arms from state to state. Hmm. Yeah, crazy. Uh, it's it's amazing, yeah. and it shows the racist nature of gun control, right? Uh, Correct. Yeah, slaves slaves were not allowed to own guns or to have any freedom whatsoever. Right. Well, thanks for your contribution, as always, Don. I appreciate it, and happy New Year. You're welcome, Toby. And Thank you. Thanks for calling in. We'll talk soon. Um, all right. Well, we will be right back after this. You don't want to go away. We, there's plenty more. We're going to get right to the chat on the other side. I'm Toby Leary. We'll be right back. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota. 
born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal Ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. All right, welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. 508-444-2120 if you want to join us on the show. If not, like, subscribe, comment, and share. And speaking of comments, let's get right to them. I do have something I want to talk about um, right after I get to a few of your comments. But uh, Brooke points out, so can anyone tell me how much black powder I can store? Now, bear in mind that the modern equivalent, like a, a, like a, you know, the Pirate X or the White Hots or the Buckhorn 509 or something like that is not true black powder. Uh, it is a synthetic black powder. So the storage requirements might be even a little different than the true black powder, like the FFG or FEG or whatever the uh, black powder is that you're using. The true black powder is the stuff that's really volatile and it usually comes in a metal keg or a can, uh, whereas most of the other stuff comes in a plastic container that's, you know, shows how much less volatile it is. Um, but I think it's usually less than two pounds in Massachusetts. I think you can only keep up to two pounds of black powder on hand. And I think that's the case even in my shop with sprinklers and high hazard uh, sprinkler system and alarm and everything else. It might be 10 pounds, but it's not much. I can't keep much in, in it at all. Then also um, you have the um, the what do you call it, the uh, fire department in this state will regulate how much ammunition you can keep on hand. Uh, and that's generally speaking a fire law, not again, a law to limit like hoarding of ammunition. I think it's 10,000 rounds of per caliber or something like that, that you're allowed to have without a permit, a special permit. So it's a pretty good amount of or, or it's 10,000 rounds of center fire, 10,000 rounds of rim fire, and 10,000 rounds of like shotgun, whatever. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good amount. We had this whole discussion. I don't want to go back down the rabbit hole. Um, but anyway, uh, look at it in your area if you're worried about it. And I wouldn't recommend stockpiling uh, large amounts of black powder. That's all I can say. Um, let's see. If a town forms a militia, and trains would the members be exempt from many of the gun laws here in mass that's a good question john i wish i knew the answer to that because that's something i've been pondering i have been uh thinking about myself because militias have a call to muster and their part and necessary for the security of a free state would they be exempt from the assault weapons ban the high capacity magazine ban et cetera et cetera et cetera I highly doubt it. Well, let's put it this way. Probably, but I highly doubt in the actual practical application, if you get pulled over with a high-capacity rifle or or a high-capacity magazine and a quote-unquote assault weapons, uh, that they're going to be like, oh, you're a member of the militia, you're a card-carrying member? All right, have a nice day. 
we'll see you, see you later. That's not going to happen. You know, the good news is that most of the time police don't even know what the laws are. I literally, and I'm not trying to out them. Uh, it's common. I literally this afternoon had somebody who served as a police officer for almost as long as I have been alive. Call me. He, he literally, I was three years old when he got sworn in as a police officer. Call me today to ask me questions about this very subject because he didn't know. And he consulted with two of his other law enforcement friends who uh, had, you know, 30 plus year careers in law enforcement and said, uh, ask them the question. And they said, call Toby. <laughs> so you can see how it it is so confusing and law enforcement's not looking to jam you up uh, on su certain things, but they will add it on if you're getting jammed up anyway. So there you go. It's a good question though, John. I wish I knew the answer. Uh, when sensitive place is left open to interpretation, they gotcha if they want to. That's 100% correct. And going back to this, I'm going to try to give as much time to the chat as possible. Um, if you want to form a sensitive place, if you want to mandate a sensitive place and call it, you know, say stadiums, right? If you don't want people who are drinking and going to watch the Bruins game and getting in an argument when someone spills beer down their neck uh, and carrying a gun and they're probably had too many to drink anyway, if you want to tell that person they can't carry that gun into said stadium, well, then it should be incumbent upon the government to make sure that when you disarm someone from being able to protect themselves, that they um, have metal detectors, that they have uh, police presence, they have armed security, they have security in place, they have cameras, they have metal detectors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so that you can guarantee the safety. And otherwise, you're just giving, you know, making them sitting ducks. You're a government mandated uh, gun free zone has now just made them 10, 50, 100 times less safe because you just took away the most useful and efficient tool from keeping them safe. So, and uh, as that video I was talking about earlier on Four Boxes Diner so adequately points out that there's no historical tradition for banning guns in parks. Like that's where the militia would muster. That's where they would show up to be counted and, you know, for training and marching and drilling and whatnot. It would be at the public park. It would be at the uh, Lexington Green. It would be at the Boston Common, right? And so... There's no tradition of banning guns in those places where other people in the public can be can be found. So, all right. Just like a gun being under your direct control, that is not defined specifically on you within reach. Yeah, it, laws are ambiguous on purpose in this state. Direct control, I would say, is definitely on you, definitely within reach. But if somebody else could potentially reach it before you, is that considered direct control? 
I don't know. It depends what the standard they're going to apply in your cases. So anyway, thank you, Patrick. I appreciate that. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, Maura Healy has eight armed state troopers around her. So no worries there. No doubt about it. Um, <laughs> uh, amen to that. Black powder also used for fireworks in great quantity for what it's worth. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And we all know what happens when fireworks go off, right? Um, we use a lot of these each July in the USA. No doubt about it. Um, I'm glad you like that. He's a great contributor to the show and sends me tons of stuff. He knows his stuff cold. Uh, and thank you, ASD. Look at that. Every once in a while, a blind squirrel gets a nut. He just pulled out the Commonwealth of Massachusetts regulation 13.041 subsection D or paragraph D. Two pounds of black powder is the limit on what you can keep in your domicile. Um, and uh, let's see, Goal of Mass teaches gun law classes. Please, they are so confusing. Yeah, you know, that is true. They do educate a lot of uh, people, including law enforcement agencies on the mass gun laws. Right now, there's a, there's a commentary on the mass gun laws that's like 440 pages long. It was written by Chief Ron Glidden from one of the smallest police departments in Massachusetts. He really geeked out on this stuff. And as a police chief, probably was like, where does my liability fall when it comes to police work regarding uh, guns in Massachusetts? So he really geeked out on it and wrote a whole commentary on the mass gun laws, which was adopted by pretty much every, all 351 towns in Massachusetts on the interpretation of mass gun laws for policing purposes. And they use it as their Bible for implementation, policy, and enforcement of Massachusetts gun laws. When you go to one of his seminars, there's lots of stuff where he throws up his hands and goes, I don't know. And he is considered the authority for firearms in police work in Massachusetts. He gives entire seminars to police departments, to uh, law enforcement agencies and uh, firearms, police academy recruits and stuff, and trains the trainer for police departments on how they need to be uh, implement the, the laws and policies. So the whole point I'm trying to make is it's about as clear as mud. And they did it that way on purpose so that they can charge people uh, with ambiguity. The good news is um, the Bruin mandate said when there's any ambiguity in the law or in the enforcement of the law or the interpretation of the law, freedom wins. The tie goes to the freedom. The tie goes to the constituent. The tie goes to the citizen. Government doesn't get that same sort of deference that we see in Chevron deference for enforcement of regulations, they it has to be clear cut and dry. And if there's ambiguity, then it has to go to the, the defendant. Um, so it's that rule of lenity. Uh, and they, they have got away with really jacking people up with gun charges over the past. 
uh, especially when you get a judge who doesn't know law. And there's there's plenty of judges out there that don't know the firearms law in whatever community they practice in. Um, and this is obvious when you see some of the questions asked whenever there is a constitutional um, challenge to said law. Uh, namely, the most recent example I can think of is Illinois. Uh, it was it was really, really uh, blatant, if you will, um, how painful it was to to listen to the questions of that panel. And they were like, you know, after hearing someone say, like, there's no historical tradition for banning or regulating arms. Oh, so you think we should be able to have nuclear weapons? Oh, so you think they, people should be able to have tanks? Oh, so you think that people should be able to have uh, fill-in-the-blank surface-to-air missiles? And it's like, how are we getting there from here? We're, we're, we're literally talking about banning guns that are in common and ordinary use that Heller said are protected. And you're jumping the shark again and saying, uh, no, we're going all the way to surface-to-air missiles. It's it's maddening. It's totally insane. And it's just, you know, it's unfortunate, but... And, uh, yeah, so stuff we got to live with in this state, right? And the good news is I think that's all going to be changing. Um, yeah. So tie goes to the gunner. I like it. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's a great, great example. Uh, I wish I thought of that bird runner. Um, but yeah, and no problem, John. Um, this is how we all need to start thinking about our rights is our rights are absolute. They are the only right that is that is said in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights that shall not be infringed. And guess what right has been infringed more than anything? The Second Amendment. They've got away with it because of that whole interest balancing uh, tradition. But uh, the good news is that's all gone. Chris, great question. Um, does a mean arms MA maglock, uh, is that enough to be considered a fixed mag option in Massachusetts? I would say absolutely it is. Um, the bottom line is the gun cannot be altered for sale specifically in Massachusetts. The Well, this is all unproven. This is the attorney general's regulations that says this, this, or not even the attorney general's regulations, the attorney general's opinion of the enforcement of the assault weapons ban. So um, what Maura Healy said in that enforcement notice to all dealers is in her frequently asked questions, can a gun be modified to shoot 22? So that like, can I have an AR, can I sell AR-15s and then have them modified to be sold uh, so that they only fire rimfire cartridge? And the answer was no. You cannot do that. Uh, that would be bad, even though you can, as long as the gun was manufactured originally for 22, then it could be sold in the state. So what the end result is, I, I don't know. But I think what they're trying to do is say they don't want people buying a traditional AR-15 that 
would be legal and common and ordinary use in every other state, taking it into Massachusetts, getting one in Massachusetts, and uh, and then um, you know selling it or modifying it or putting this fixed mag in it and locking it up so that it can't be uh, it you know mag can't come out. But if it's originally manufactured that way, then it's good. So what I would recommend is a either buy a fixed mag lower and build your gun around it. Or if you have a traditional AR lower, that's not a pre-ban or a pre-Healy, it's a post-ban or post-Healy, then yeah, buy the Mean Arms MA loader or MA lock and put it in there, put a mag in there and lock it in and then build your gun around it. And as long as it was purpose-built to be a fixed mag gun, you'll be good to go. So um, yeah, there you go. Uh, I know I'm being trolled now by a former school guy and I don't know who it is. So uh <laughs> <laughs> I got to figure out who this is. But anyway, uh, I like your contributions, by the way. So keep them coming. Um, and uh, can judges go against laws that are in the Constitution and others? Seems like they often do. Uh, technically, no. Uh, but unfortunately, they do all the time. And this is one of the most frustrating things. Um, but this is why you have different levels of court, right? Um, the Founders were brilliant in their formation of this government. They have the inferior courts, which are the district courts and the circuit courts. Um, and then you have the uh, Supreme Court, which is going to have the final say on it. So I don't know where the enforcement of, like, we got a perfect example happening right now. The Bruin mandate came down, everybody had a knee jerk hissy fit and started writing all these laws and as a result we have laws that are unconstitutional going before district courts and circuit courts so we just had one in massachusetts go before uh the district court judge sailor uh said that banning of ar-15s is in historical tradition and consistent with our nation's history of firearms regulation going back to 1791. What law he's pointing to, I have no idea. But like the Supreme Court said, you can't point to one law or two laws or three laws and say, hey, because of these laws in some state or county somewhere in an obscure location in the rest of the country, you can now ban an entire uh, type of firearm throughout the country. Not going to happen. So um, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, so I don't know how to, uh, you know, how do you fix that when you have a bad judge? I guess you just got to appeal to a higher court. Hopefully the Supreme Court will start to smack down uh, lower courts as they do that. I don't know. Anyway, we have an exciting guest for you on the other side. Uh, we got Chris Lozon, who is running for state Senate and which is going to bring up some spirited discussion on the other side about uh, the importance of, you know, having good people who are writing laws and, uh, you know, making sure that they're consistent with our with our rights. And so we'll we'll talk to him about that. So 
Stay tuned. We will be right back. I'm Toby Leary. This is Rapid Fire. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal Punch Hollow Points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need Punch Defensive Ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal Punch Defensive Hollow Point Ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in each and every week to Rapid Fire Radio. And it's time for another Rapid Fire Gun of the Week. This week's Rapid Fire Gun of the Week is the Sarles Lamaz. I think I'm saying that right. Sarnen pistol. This is a really cool pistol because it has great ergonomics, almost very similar to like the HK VP9. Uh, it has two extra back straps that you can replace on this gun. It is a striker fired full-size handgun made in Turkey by one of the oldest and one of the largest firearms manufacturers in the world, which I was surprised about, but come to find out they do a ton of firearms throughout the world for military contracts, as well as the civilian market. One of the interesting things about SAR is the Turkish government pays for the research and development of these guns so that by the time they hit the market, they've been tested very well and they don't have to pay for the research and development. So that lowers the end cost to the consumer. So I think they're a great price point gun. They always come with a whole bunch of extra stuff, magazines and cleaning kits and everything else that come along with it. So this is a very good ergonomic feeling striker fired gun that has been tested very well. And it is this week's rapid fire gun of the week. So we're going to go out on the range and check it out and see how it shoots. So there you have it, guys. The SAR-9 pistol shot very well, very accurate, and uh, trigger was great. Felt really good in the hand. So if you're looking for a good full-size pistol that you want to get started with, this would be a great choice. It's a very reliable, ergonomic pistol, and it's this week's Gun of the Week. So scroll down on the website. Go to rapidfireradio.us. Scroll down to Gun of the Week. Click on it and use code G-O-W at checkout. So there you have it. The SAR-9 pistol is this week's Rapid Fire Gun of the Week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on Rapid Fire. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and I am happy you're here with us. And I'm also really happy to have in studio uh, Chris Lozon, who is running for state senate. So 
uh chris thanks for coming in i appreciate you man and uh glad to have you in studio Thanks for having me in, Toby. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience. Sorry, say that again because I uh, had you on mute. So oh, it helps all right. if I turn your mic on. <laughs> all good. Thanks for having me in again, Toby. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course, of course. And uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, what you did, and what you're gonna do? Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. There's a lot in there. Right. Uh, what I've everything i've ever done my whole life huh? that's right. so um so like 30 you seconds or less yeah that's right <laughs> so like you said my name's chris lozo and i'm running for state senate here on the cape and islands um, i ran in 2022 as well um, first time candidate um, got the name out there there's a very entrenched incumbent in this office who is doing a lot of detrimental things to the cape and islands through his legislation so we really need to change that but i'm a local native to the Cape, grew up in Marston's Mills, graduated Barnstable High School here. My wife and I are raising four kids here on the Cape. Um, yeah, it's a lot Full of work. Quiver. Full yeah. quiver. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm an auto mechanic by trade. Um, as you know, my shop's right around the corner here, family business, third generation. Um, I'm hoping to stop fixing cars and start fixing the state. Oh, man. We need all the help we can get. Uh, Incidentally, the the senator that you were just referring to that you're running against, uh, for some reason, won't return my calls. Oh, I'm not surprised to hear that. Have you so, heard that before? I've heard that from many people all last campaign. And since then, I've been I myself, I've only met the gentleman one time. Mm -hmm. um, he's not in the community frequently. He doesn't make himself accessible. Um, and that's a huge problem. I mean, that's really the biggest part of the job is being accessible to your constituents and representing their needs. You can't represent them if you don't speak with them. Right. Um, the, I'm just trying to uh, find, I had some talking points. So let's, let's cut to the chase, right? You're, you're on rapid fire radio, which is a 2A friendly um, radio show that talks all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, self-defense. Um, first of all, what's your opinion or your understanding of the Second Amendment as you see it and how you would um, you know, apply it in your work as a senator? Well, I think it's pretty clear in the text of the amendment itself, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Um, and the thing that I think people forget or misunderstand about the Constitution sometimes is that it's not a restriction on the people, it's a restriction on the government. Mm. Um, it really is there to protect the people. And I would apply that uniformly, all parts of the Constitution, you know, the state Constitution, the federal Constitution, those are the ultimate law of the land. So any legislation that's brought forth on the state level, you know, in Massachusetts or any state, it needs to be in compliance with that. And when you see legislation like House Bill 4139 and the state Senate is going to be taking up their own version very soon, um, a lot of the pieces of that are just in direct contradiction to the Second Amendment. So it's bad legislation. Mm. Um, and in a general sense, I'm not in favor of these giant omnibus bills anyway, because they have so many different provisions. It's just set up that way to confuse people and hide things. Um, we need smaller bills and bills that are consistent with the Constitution. Absolutely. And uh, so looking at what the who's in charge of writing this legislation for the Senate 
is uh, Cynthia Cream. Cindy Cream is no friend of the Second Amendment. She has historically been hostile to it based on the legislation that she has introduced year in and year out. She's a perennial um, introducer of anti-gun bills going all the way from entire bans on handguns to uh, bans on pre-ban weapons, pre-ban high-capacity magazines, et cetera, et cetera, stuff that's been in our nation's history since the founding and, and going, let's put it this way. She hasn't seen a ban that she hasn't liked. You know, the good news is um, I think that the Senate is at odds with the house on this bill. And that is that they're, they're not on the same page. They're mad at the house at how it went down, that they weren't at the table to discuss what the bill should look like. They they just ran roughshod over it. Then they wanted it debated in the uh, public, um, in the House Judiciary Committee's uh, 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 committee instead of the the Public Safety Committee, which is where all other gun control legislation goes to either die or hit the hit the floor. So, um, the four things it looks like to me, based on the research I've done, that the the Senate is taking up for grabs. And this is perfect timing, by the way, because this show I, is a call to arms. Like I, I have literally, uh, that's that's more figurative than literal, but I, I uh, it's a yeah. call to arms as far as organizing and uh, really getting people motivated to oppose this bill by calling their senators, calling mm -hmm. their uh you know, the state Senate, calling the governor's office, calling the legislators and saying, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to to basically um, end your career if you vote for this legislation. Right. So the four things it looks like is ghost guns. Number one, they want to eliminate and regulate and ban, quote unquote, ghost guns. They think that a lawful freedom loving american having a freedom hobby in their own privacy of their own home is too much for the government to bear mm -hmm. they have to know what it is you built what it is the caliber what the barrel length is what the configuration of it does it meet our current laws does it meet our you know drop testing and our you know our uh approved weapons roster and all that and the fact that it's unserialized is just it shatters people's brains. It it they can't even comprehend how somebody could be entrusted with such a lack of government oversight. So so that's the first thing that they're really hot to trot about um, is this quote unquote ghost guns. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things I took great pleasure in uh, pointing out to. Um, I can't remember, I think it was Cindy Cream's uh, chief of staff was our nation was founded by ghost guns. Right. Absolutely. Yes. And that, you know, I think the problem really kind of boils down to the government wanting control of this and wanting control of the people, control that it doesn't currently have. And, you know, a lot of these legislators go into office with an agenda behind them. They're not looking at this is the constitutional mandate, and that's what I'm going to follow. You have a lot of anti-firearm people going right. into these positions, and they're bringing that with them, 
and they're pushing that agenda rather than respecting people's rights. And they use terms like ghost guns and, you know, all these scary things to try to scare people into saying, well, we have to do something right now. And I would just ask, too, you know, what data are they looking at that, you know, proves out that this is actually a problem that we need to be concerned with? Um, You know, are so-called ghost guns, you know, causing an excessive amount of violence or crime or anything else? You know, I mean, it's a solution looking for a problem that isn't there, honestly. And even if, let's say it was the gun of criminal's choice, right? Let's just play devil's advocate. How is it going to make America safer to make sure that you and I can't make our own gun when we're not the problem right. in the first place, right? Right. Well, that's <laughs> the other point. If you take it further, you know, if you even if you want to say that that's the case, that criminals are using these unserialized, home-built ghost guns, why does taking that ability away from law-abiding people help that situation it'll make it worse actually because right. then only the criminals and i'm sure this has been said on this show over and over and over again when you put these things in place only the criminals will have access to these firearms right uh real quick i just want to play a video for our listeners and i unfortunately you you won't be able to hear it of course but i don't know if you've ever seen the video of senator kevin de leon in california uh who oh shoot we got a phone call here uh Hold on one sec. Let me see if I'm going to play the video. Oh, they they hung. Good. <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean good. Call back if you want to be on here. Um, but the um, so this is a famous via. This is like when ghost gun became the coined phrase, right? Mm-hmm. It was you'd hear, hear it, but uh, I, I just want to play this for my uh, listeners real quick. And uh, this is when Kevin DeLeon says, this is a ghost gun. And then he goes on to make some incredible uh, uh and I'll show you this afterwards, mm-hmm. uh, some incredible claims about the ghost gun. So uh, here we go. This is a ghost gun. This right here has ability with a 30 caliber clip to disperse with 30 bullets within half a second. 30 magazine clip in half a second. <laughs> Uh, 30 magazine clip within a half a second, whatever that means. But yeah, yeah, well, I, uh, without hearing it, I've, like I said, if you show it to me afterwards, I'd be interested to see it. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of these legislators, too, I'll just point out, you know, they're not gun owners. They've never handled a firearm. So they make these claims a lot of times that don't even make sense. Right. If you actually know anything about firearms, it's total nonsense. Yeah, we get people all the time that come into the shop. I had a guy uh, who's segment is going to air next week uh, on next Wednesday's show. Um, ben DeWalt, he's a firearms trainer that comes in and does training for us all the time. And uh, he's from New York. So another mm-hmm. banned state, but yep. he's blown away by, he looks around and goes, wait a minute, you can't sell AR-15s and AK-47s. How can you sell the Robinson Armament XCRL? How can you sell a Tavor? How can you sell a fill in the blank? Mm-hmm. They all do the same thing. Right. And I'm like, because idiots write gun laws who have no idea what the heck they're talking about and this like this the leon guy from california is a perfect example of that like no knowledge of firearms whatsoever uh and how to how to even operate them and what the purpose of them is 
And then they're the ones that we have to worry about for, um, because they're going to write legislation that makes us, you know, our head spin. So anyway, uh, Cynthia Cream, I guess the second thing that they're really hyped up about and want to make sure that they, they fix, you mentioned the problem in search of a solution or the solution in search of a problem is really right. the, the better way to put it. And the way you put it um, is they want to change the training requirement, which is right now four hours in this state. And it's kind of an open, ambiguous training requirement. There's about 21 approved curriculums mm -hmm. that are approved right now to be taught. Some of them are proprietary. Some of them are old and outdated, but um, the bottom line is there's a bunch of different approved curriculums. They want to turn it into one curriculum that the state police is tasked with writing. Mm -hmm. And like they have, you know, all the knowledge and expertise on this and that they uh, can now control the narrative. They want to include things like uh, active shooter training, mm -hmm. which is incredibly ironic because the, if they get their way, we're going to be disarmed in the most likely place that an active shooter or a spree killer would go. Right. So you won't people. be armed to right. actually use that training. Right. Absolutely. So yep. you got to go through de-escalation and active shooter training and all this stuff like you're in the police department or like you're a sworn officers. And uh, it, it's maddening. Um, they want to change it from a four-hour requirement to an eight-hour requirement. Mm -hmm. They want to change it from non-live fire to firing at least one round. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people do these type of classes in the home. They'll come to someone's office building. They'll do it at a uh, gun club in the wintertime in their short, small little cabin on the outdoor range. But yet they they never fire a round, but they right. want to restrict their right to keep and bear arms based on the fact that they can't shoot a gun or they, they don't have a live fire com uh, component to the class. I think that's unbelievably uh, offensive and insulting when you look at the uh, right to keep and bear arms or the Second Amendment. There's nowhere in there it says you got to take an eight-hour class, get fingerprinted, background check, photograph, pay a fee, uh, get a license, and fire at least one round in order to exercise your right to keep and bear arms. Right, and that goes back again to you know look at the text of the amendment. It shall not be infringed. So ultimately, I mean, any of these laws could be challenged and overturned as unconstitutional, right. um, any kind of requirement, um, because it's not explicitly in the text there. Um, and as you alluded, I listened to some of what you were talking about earlier with, you know, things that were, you know, normal practice at the time of the country's founding and the black powder storage. Not they're comparing apples and oranges with a lot of these things. And it's just totally capricious, really. Right. Um, and like the training requirements, you know, very vaguely written, very, you know, open to interpretation. And that's the worst kind of legislation to put legislation forward that needs to be interpreted and can be interpreted multiple different ways. And it's unclear what the regulation actually is. That just opens it up to more problems. Um, and like you say, just these, you know, uh, mass shooter, you know, training requirements, things like that, you know, it's not necessary for the licensing class to get your license to carry if they're going to even have that, you know, in place, mm. which, like you said, ultimately, you know, shouldn't be the case anyway. 
under the Second Amendment. But if you're going to have this training in place, you know, it doesn't need to go through all these different uh, steps that they're trying to implement now. It's completely unnecessary and, you know, burdensome on the individual. Yeah. And one of the other things they want to do is expand. This is, uh, you know, the one of the points I've heard that the Senate is really keyed in on. And that is, uh, but actually, before I even say that, let's back up to the training requirements. And again, what are they trying to fix with this? Because as far as I know, uh, I have never heard of people who are lawfully in possession of firearms, uh, you know, shooting themselves and killing people on a daily basis. Yeah, accidents happen from time to time, but that's not because they didn't receive training of some sort along the way. Right. Or they didn't get enough training along the way. It's because accidents happen. And, uh, right. you know, it's like to say, like, you're never going to get in a car accident because you took the driver's ed class is ridiculous, right? Well, right. They want to make that, you know, correlation that you take right. a driving test when you get your driver's license. So you should do live fire when you get your license to carry. But, you know, a correlation isn't causation. Right. You know, just because you took your driver's license test and drove a vehicle doesn't mean you're never going to have a problem driving a vehicle. Right. So it's it's apples and oranges and it's, you know, unnecessarily burdensome in the process. The the other thing is we just had um this contributor to the show he calls in a lot he sends me a lot of emails don and stoughton and he he read the law that the supreme court cited um that says that for any law that's created there needs to be a definite need and there also needs to be constitutional authority or constitutional um it needs to be applicable like uh, you need to be able to um to do that under your authority there's no limitation to your to your carrying out of your position or your job or 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 the legislation that you're writing that would violate the law so um just because you can write and pen a law if it's in violation of the constitution it's it's an unconstitutional law mm -hmm. so it has to be consistent with the constitution and there needs to be a causation for why the law there's a definite need for the law because if you don't write it there could be massive harm to the public. And this is one of those things that you can't point to. You can't say, oh, right now, you know, nine out of 10 people getting their license to carry are dying because we don't have eight hours of training with a mandatory of one shot right. being fired. So there's no causation. So therefore, it's an unconstitutional law and it's not consistent with the Constitution to begin with. Right. But regardless that's not how the current legislature sits and thinks they think hey um we can do this and we can have a backdoor way of restricting gun rights mm -hmm. um that you know will go into effect for maybe 10 years before the constitution is finally i mean before the the law is finally challenged at the supreme court level and get thrown out you know right and it costs the uh, the the people tens of thousands of dollars and years and years of their life. Right. So that's, yeah, that, I mean, that's the big issue, you know, in every branch of government in this state, you know, the legislation, legislator, legislature, sorry, the governor, the judiciary. I mean, every single branch is working against these things. So you talked, I think, when I walked in about the different levels of the judiciary and, you know, what the actual enforcement is when things are found unconstitutional. And, 
you know, that's the real struggle. They can be found unconstitutional, but then how is it enforced after the fact? Right. And when you have legislators in place who are going to continue writing these laws, you're going through an endless cycle with this stuff. So you need people who have a constitutional mind in place so that we avoid all of that altogether. Right. So like you said, it's a waste of time, waste of money. It infringes on people's rights, you know, until it is ultimately overturned. Mm. And it's painful to... uh to witness because you you see the uh, people who just like think they're they, there to justify their existence instead of make the world a better place, get out of people's way and let people do what they do best and see that the rule of law is enforced and, and followed. It seems nowadays the modern legislature is to try to uh, rule and regulate every area of somebody's life. Um, I joke a lot that you can't cut out more than six square feet of drywall out of your house without pulling a permit, you know? Mm. And it's like, holy smokes, we have lost our way. Well, yeah, when you look at some of these things that are regulated in your day-to-day -day life, it, you if you actually stop and think about that, you realize how many freedoms have actually been lost anyway. You can't go about your day-to-day -day life without telling the government what you're doing about something. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the old axiom of that government is best, which governs least. I mean, that still should apply. We have a full-time legislature, but just because they're there full-time doesn't mean they need to be crafting all these bills constantly that, you know, aren't needed. Right. You know, there's something like 7,000 bills pending before the legislature right now. That's absurd. Yeah. Only 10, I think, have passed. Um, so those other 6,990 bills, it's a lot of fluff that we don't need. It's like, who wakes up in the morning and is like, I'm going to make the world a better place by restricting people's lives to no end and like thinking up new ways to basically what it comes down to is I think people, uh, and I said this in the first hour when Don was on the phone, I said, uh, people, once they've tasted a little bit of power or a little bit of authority. They love that, mm -hmm. that feeling. And they want to impose their will on other people. We saw it during the last, you know, from 2020 to 2022. Right. Uh, people found all kinds of new powers to control people and tell them what to do and order them around and make them jump through hoops. And, you know, this unconstitutional game, as Simon says, and and basically, uh, they they wanted to hold on to that power forever. And uh, I think our our founding fathers would be a little upset with the what we've done with the this American experiment. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, again, old sayings: power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. So in Massachusetts, we have a uniparty state. The Democrats have control everywhere of everything. Um, so as long as they have that stranglehold, it's difficult to fight back against that. So one of the other areas the Senate's looking hard and long at for, uh, for regulating uh, our right to keep and bear arms is the prohibited areas too. They want to expand this gun-free zones to 
uh, all public property or uh, all government buildings, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. I think they've kind of acquiesced that they can't restrict it to all public property, but uh, government buildings uh, like polling places, town halls. Uh, they also want to make it illegal to carry a gun on private property if you aren't expressly given granted permission. Right. So that could mean uh, apartment buildings, you know, townhouses, condominium complexes, mm -hmm. uh, homeowners associations could now ban guns. Uh, obviously all school and transportation, public bus, tr public trans transit authority, regional transit authorities. Um, so, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know if you heard me in the first hour talking about how, when there was a threat to the public in the early, you know, 18th century or the late 18th century, I should say, uh, they didn't make gun-free zones. They made it mandatory to carry your gun. Mm -hmm. Yes. I heard you talking <laughs> yeah. about the Indian shutters yeah, and all right. of that. Yeah. I mean that it really shows where we've gone as a society when we're talking about restricting people's rights instead of, you know, emboldening people to exercise their rights mm -hmm. and to keep our communities safer and really crack down on the people who are breaking the law rather than making more laws to restrict the, you know, people who are following the laws right. to begin with. Right. One other area in the last area uh, that I've been told the Senate will be looking at long and hard is um, they want to create a database of record keeping. And this, I've only been told generally what that means, but this, they want to start to track data used, you know, guns used in crime, et cetera, et cetera, and track this data, but they call it record keeping. So early on in the process of HD 4420 discussions, there was mandatory registration of all guns. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's what this record keeping thing means as it applies to the Senate, but the federal government has already been told that registrations are unconstitutional. The state's been getting away with a de facto registry for decades now. Every gun that's sold here is registered. Every private transaction is registered. Right. If you bring a gun into the state, you don't need to register it. Um, if you brought it with you, if you had it shipped here, you do. If you had it put on a truck, you do or whatever. Um, but there, and you could have got inherited a gun a long time mm -hmm. ago that, you know, might not be registered. So <clears throat> the point I'm trying to make is, um, again, it's another solution in search of a problem. None of these record keeping things is going to prevent crime. It's going to put bad guys in jail. It's going to, uh, keep bad guys in jail. Um, but this one makes me really nervous because. And I have a lawyer friend who's really been looking into this. Uh, the, the registration of firearms is something that could be used. It could be weaponized to the point where it could dox every gun owner in, in mm. the state. And it's already happened where like people's names have been outed on the internet who are gun owners. So now, you know, you, you, someone like myself would have to worry that my name goes out on the internet. I think people could figure out. Me, I think but, people know that yeah. you own guns. Right. Yeah, but, but, um, but <laughs> people like me who might not be as public about it as right. I am, 
just want to be left alone. And now they're worried when they go on vacation or they're go, you know, to work in the morning, if their house is going to be ransacked and right. ambushed and cased and, and, you know, by people who would like to get guns and acquire them. That's how most crimes are committed are with stolen guns. You know, they, they obtain guns on the black market. They deface the serial numbers and thus make a ghost gun. Right. And uh, so they've been doing that for decades. So they're not worried about this ghost gun legislation. And uh, that's something that I think carries, uh, not to mention, you know, if it's on a database, it could be hacked, right? right. Um, it could be hacked. It could be leaked. It could be, sometimes you think data is secure and it's not. Right. And so it could be weaponized against gun owners. All it takes is one psychopath at at the state house that wants to leak it out to you know Joe Schmo, and next thing you know, every gun owner's all six hundred thousand gun owners' name, address, what they own, what they have right. is all out there on the interwebs for every psychopath to see. Absolutely, and it's another unnecessary provision that isn't going to have any tangible positive result that opens the door for more problems like you just laid out. Um, and, you know, the legislature is famously tight-lipped and restrictive on information that goes out, but they want to collect data on, you know, citizens and store that data and make it available. I mean, it's really a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no no justification for collecting and storing that data. Right. There's no tangible benefit, like I said. All right. Well, we are talking with Chris Lozon, candidate for state Senate, and uh, we're really happy to continue this discussion on the other side. So make sure you don't go away. We will be right back after this. I'm Toby Leary. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's Federal Ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal Ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. All right, welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and we're having a spirited discussion with uh, state Senate candidate uh, Chris Lozon. And uh, Chris, um, I should have asked this earlier, but we've kind of kicked around the, the the stuff that's near and dear to my heart, uh, the gun laws in this state. What pushed you over the edge and said, I'm going to run for state Senate? That's it. I've seen enough. <laughs> I'm out of, you know, I'm throwing my hat into the ring. I'm putting a sign in the ground and I'm going to start knocking on doors and, you know, turning my life upside down. Yeah. Well, like I said, and you know, you know, and some of your audience will know, I ran in 2022 as a first time candidate. um, And I got in real late in the cycle, the incumbent in this office, he's in his fourth term now. 
He did not face any opposition in 2020. Um, so 2022 came around. Nobody, nobody had thrown their hat in the ring. I was looking around at everything that's been going on on the Cape. And like I said, I'm a lifelong resident here. I've seen a lot of the changes that have happened and a lot of them not for the better. There's a lot of issues here on the Cape, obviously housing, wastewater, um, you know, infrastructure, transportation, energy. These are all problems that have been building and getting worse for decades. And our leadership has not been solving those problems. Um, and, you know, I just decided that I had had enough and I had to do something. So I stepped up. Um, I asked my wife first, obviously, and she was, you know, like, are you kidding me? But, you know, she got behind me pretty quickly and we got out there and I just, you know, I came on your show fairly early on, which I appreciated. Um, and I just hit the ground running and started knocking doors and talking to people. And the response was very positive. Mm -hmm. um, it's really difficult, though, as a first time candidate and, you know, an unknown person at that time, um, getting the message out there. Um, and this time around, I think we laid a really good foundation in 2022 and we'll get the message out there even better. Like I mentioned earlier, um, the incumbent is not available to his constituents. He's not involved in the community. Um, I do a lot of things in the community. I try to keep present and accessible to people, and I'm happy to talk with anyone at any time, anytime they reach out to me. And if you call the incumbent senator's office or send an email, you'll get, you know, a canned reply of we're very busy and we can't respond to everything, but we'll get back to you soon. And and I, I want to run things differently. I want to be accessible to people and actually solve some of these problems. Right. So there wasn't like one breakpoint issue that kind of tipped you over? Um, not really. I mean, obviously, we were coming out of COVID and, you know, government overreach during that whole thing. So it was kind of, you know, building issues. I had always been following politics. I had never gotten involved at all. Um, and I just I knew I wanted to do something at some point and it seemed like the right time to jump in. But, you know, obviously having the four kids, the housing problem and the infrastructure problems, you know, these are things that need to be solved. I want them to be solved for my kids and for everybody else's kids so we can keep, you know, our families living here and raising their families here. Yeah. And the incumbents in these offices, I mean, they haven't gotten the job done. Right. Um, the incumbent. Uh, I got a question here. Can you please name the incumbent? Uh, and well, go ahead. I'll let uh, you do the Well, answer. first rule of running for office is to never name oh. your opposition. Well, but I'll, I'll, you I'll, I'll break it, though, because oh. I do mention him by name. So that would be Senator Julian Sear. Right. Um, C-Y-R. Yes. Not to be confused with C-Y-A, uh, although he does a lot of that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... What can we do right now? I mean, obviously, getting you in office, ideal, but 2024 has just started. Election's not till November. They're going to be debating this in January, February. The, this, I mean, the gun control legislation. Right. What, what do you think would be the most effective way for us to get the attention of the incumbents um, like Julian Sear? Well, certainly, like you had suggested, you know, just barraging the offices with emails and calls and expressing your opinion on these things, that is very important um, because a lot of times these politicians will say, well, I never heard from the constituents that they had a problem with this. Mm -hmm. You know, people might reach out to someone like 
Representative Exaros because they know that he's accessible and he's sympathetic to the, his constituents. But so people who are in other districts might reach out to him, but they don't reach out to their own representative or their own senator. And that gives those people a pass to say, well, my constituents never complained about it. So mm. being vocal um, and being consistent about it. I mean, don't send just one email, send an email every single day, you know, make it clear that you're not okay with the things that are going on. Um, because if you don't, you're kind of giving that politician a pass and allowing them to continue doing what they're doing. Yeah. How many senators are there? It's like, There's uh, 40, 40, 40 senators. 40. Yep. 160 reps and 40 senators. Okay. And so out of the 40, we have four Republicans now. We went from three to four. Yes, we're up to double digits percentage wise. We're at 10% now. So, nice. um, and uh, that, you know, there's a similar margin in the House. And that's right. why I mentioned earlier, it's very difficult to fight against that. We have, a, we do have people up there who are fighting this fight, but they don't have the numbers. They need more allies in the legislature. So it's important that people locate who their senator is if they don't know who yes. their state senator is. Uh, my state senator is Julian Sierra, been to his office many times, left notes, left contact information, left information, left, uh, I've called, I've left my number many mm -hmm. times. I'll continue to do it. Uh, and that's what this week's show was all, it was going to be all about. So it's fortuitous that you came on because it was a call to action that we need to just hammer the uh, senators right now that are preparing to debate this bill. Uh, with emails, phone calls, um, letters, written letter. Yep. I don't even care if it's the printed email, just print it out and send a hard copy. And then lastly, uh, troll them on social media. Um, I still think, I don't think it should be um, done in a like hateful, spiteful way, but putting facts and information and constant barrage of um and I don't even care what the subject matter is that they're posting about. Sometimes they're sitting there with their staff and like, hey, this is Joe's birthday and it's great and he's awesome. And make sure you, you know, send him a high five on, you know, in the comments or whatever. And I'm like, that's really great that you have the security around you to, you know, just celebrate your staffer's birthday. But for those of us who are relying on our own personal safety and security, the bill that is coming before you would make it a lot harder for us to do that. So right. please oppose it. And if you don't, I'm going to oppose you in the next election. So having a choice in this election is really good for us as gun owners and uh, getting behind you and, and your campaign. If I'm not going to, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to, to think that, uh, the incumbent is going to support this type of gun control legislation. But if he does to say, look, I will do whatever it takes to make sure you are not reelected. If, if you do vote for this legislation and uh, any and all gun control legislation that violates our, our, our right to keep and bear arms. Um, and I will hold signs. I will donate to, I will vote. I will organize. I will, do whatever I got to do to make sure that you are out of a job. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think that's critical. Like you said, the social media, you know, just constant, every single Avenue you can use to get to these incumbents 
and express your opinions on this legislation, that's good. Um, Because if they see the message enough, you know, maybe it'll take root and they'll actually consider it. Because like you said, the incumbent on the Cape and Islands here is almost a foregone conclusion that he will support whatever gun control legislation there is. Um, So it's very important to make it clear from his constituents that you know, they're not in favor of this legislation and that they'll be supportive, you know, of me, ideally, mm-hmm. against him in the next election. Right. Um, and hopefully that message would resonate. Now, um, just some of the inside baseball of what that all looks like. Um, have you been getting any support from the Republican Party here in Massachusetts as far as your candidacy and whatnot? Um, I have spoken with some officials from the state party, so I've had more this time around than I did in 2022, I can tell you that. Mm. Um, And it's very early. Obviously, you mentioned the, you know, we have four state senators now. That election just happened this past November, so that was really their focus up until that point. And now there's a special election to fill that state rep seat that the now senator came from. And there's also a special election in Plymouth for a state rep seat that's coming up. So yeah. that's going to be a special election. That won't be in the general. I saw that there's going to be a special okay. election and then the general will happen again. But whoever so the incumbent is, someone could be in for like six months yeah, okay. and then lose or, you know, <laughs> but if whoever wins that special has a great advantage in November, obviously. Right. So right. there is a Republican already stepped forward for that. Yeah. Um, I believe he ran in 2022 as well. So. You know, it's it 2024. There's a lot of opportunity to pick up some of these seats and really send a message that, you know, we're tired of the status quo. Do you do you have to live in the district that you serve in? You have to have your official residence in this district that you represent. Yes. So your official residence, you know, whether you actually live there or not, whatever, whatever you claim is your official residence, that's what it's based on. There was some um, controversy about the incumbent, like basically having his official residence on Cape, but yet lives 90% of the time in Hingham or something. Yeah, like I mean, I don't have any, you know, official information on that. I know that his official residence that he still claims to this day in Truro is his parents' home address. So whether he actually lives there or not, I couldn't tell you, but he does still claim his parents' address as his home residence. And he's, you know, a little bit older than I am, 40 years old. So does that mean he still lives with his parents? (laughs) Uh, I guess so. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Time to move out of the basement, Julian. (laughs) Yes. Don't use the basement strategy. (laughs) Holy smokes. Um, Well, you're an accomplished businessman. Obviously, you you have your own... uh, shop that you do what's the name of your shop by the way one of the um alignments plus right here in hyannis um so we've been there 25 years my father reopened it my grandfather was there prior to that so like i said it was a it's a three generation uh business and not much has changed other than there's a computer in the office now that wasn't there you know when my grandfather was there sure. but <laughs> very yeah good. That's, absolutely that's really something to be proud of is a multi-generational business. Most that's, that's a, almost a thing of the past. Like uh, multi-generational businesses are, are almost non-existent. Um, so it's, you know, sad. Cause I, I love the thought of that. Like yeah, it, my businesses, I hope someday my kids will take over, but you know, I certainly can't hope. I, I can hope for that. I can't, 
expect that anymore. That, right. Those days seem to be over, but um, that's that's a pretty cool thing that you're you're operating a third generation business. I really love that. I I love to hear that, and yeah. that is something that I think is unique to our area. There are plenty of like you still hear that like some of the big builders has been passed on to the next generation or, you know, um, up the road, uh, Cape and Cape tire service. They're on a second generation right. of ownership. You know, I, I love that kind of thing for, for Cape, uh, Cape Cod. And I hope that that will continue. Yeah, it's great. That really helps to build the community and make the community stronger mm-hmm. instead of just having, you know, conglomerates everywhere. Yeah. It's nice to have these family businesses, um, and I mean, we still have customers who came to my grandfather. They're getting few and far between now, but we do still have some. So you have that uh, established relationship and it really makes for a, a good community. So do you do other automotive things besides alignments? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do all kinds of repairs. It's general repair. Okay. Um, it's just alignments plus. So oh, the plus, plus yeah, is the other other stuff. But right. uh, yeah, we do all kinds of repairs and uh Anyone who was paying attention to the last campaign, I mean, I was driving my 72 AMC Matador around. So, Mm. um, you know, we work on anything and everything that comes in the doors. If it's got four wheels, we can work on it. You know, (laughs) I it's funny you say that because I've I've got a thing for AMCs. And really? Yeah. If I ever get a classic car, it's going to be like a Javelin or a, you know, the AMX or something like that. I've, I've always wanted one of those AMX, you know? Yeah. Those are nice. I like the 70 rebel machine. They made a performance package with a 390 V8. Really nice. Nice the vehicle. Rebel, the one that they made in that weird colors, a couple of weird colors. Uh, well, they had a red, white, and blue, um, you know, color scheme. Uh-huh. And they had the Rambler Scrambler in 69 mm-hmm. as well. Same color scheme. But uh, oh. yeah, it, a lot of quirky stuff. But yeah. it, it's unusual to find AMC fans. So I'm I'm happy to hear you say that. Yeah. No, I, I do. One of these days, I keep telling myself, you know, uh, I don't know if it'll ever materialize or just be in my mind. But regardless uh i still say it one of these days uh, well you checked off the town council thing you yes. check off the amc one of these days <laughs> that's right <laughs> chris says i'll be getting a gremlin x <laughs> hey there you go <laughs> maybe a pacer yeah what's funny is my friend in high school uh a close friend of mine had one of the gremlin uh no it wasn't the gremlin it was the amc uh what was the four-wheel drive car? eagle the eagle yeah that's what it was <laughs> <laughs> she had the eagle and we used to, we mocked her sore when she got it but that thing was a cool car in hindsight you know what how like ahead of its time was it well that's the thing it was it? ahead of its time because everything's all-wheel drive right. now you know right yeah and but it was this big gnarly like <laughs> just lead sled yep. going down the road and you know we used to mock her sore because an attractive female driving this eagle you know it was, it was pretty funny well they but, were ugly cars oh, anyway yeah. but just yeah but i think uh her dad bought it for, her for the first car and wanted her to yep. have like this robust safe, <laughs> safe you yes. know safe vehicle so <laughs> it was pretty cool but it was a gnarly vehicle and she didn't know i think she's so much cooler now for having it than at the yeah. time you know <laughs> but yeah i could see me rocking the gremlin x um, hey there you go yeah um Cool. Well, uh, what is the, do you have a site up or yes. a, a sponsorship page or anything like that? Um, yep. So you can certainly visit votelozon.com. That's votelauzon.com. 
Um, you can volunteer on there. You can sign up for our email list. You can certainly make a donation. Um, my least favorite part of campaigning is asking people to donate, but it is necessary for signs and mailers and things like that. Um, yeah, that's the part I didn't take so serious, and I'm still in the hole about three or four grand. Oh, <laughs> well, see, I won't put myself in the hole because I can't do that. But, right. uh, you know, it just it does affect the campaign tremendously. If you have more, obviously, you can send out direct mail. You can do advertising, things like that. Yeah. So that is a critical component. Um, and I think I'm not alone among candidates it's really the least favorite part of campaigning is asking people because i mean i know how hard i work for my money right. so i hate to ask people to make that donation but it is necessary um, yeah. but we need manpower as well anyone who wants to volunteer um, we'll be doing standouts we have events that'll be coming up um, obviously on election day there's a lot of things that'll need to be done so anyone who wants to get involved please reach out to me um, and like I said, I'll be accessible. So if you reach sure. out, I'll get back to you. And just so that everyone uh, can see that he's not all fluff, he was willing to put it in writing. I'm on his website right now, votelozon.com. And you scroll down under public safety. He's got immigration, drugs, criminal justice. You can see where he stands on all of it. But the Second Amendment, the right of the people to keep and bear arms is one of the most critical parts of the Constitution. As a legal and responsible gun owner, Chris is a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. Chris is adamantly opposed to the provisions proposed in HD 4420, which is now H4139. Yeah, that needs to be updated. Yeah, but... even my sites are <laughs> like that too, which will do nothing to strengthen penalties for dangerous criminals or make our communities safer while trampling the rights of law-abiding gun owners throughout the Commonwealth. Amen to that. Yes, sir. Um, not afraid to say it. I'll stand up for those conservative principles. I mean, on issues like that, I mean, to me, it's not even a Democrat or Republican issue. It's not left or right. You know, it's right or wrong. What they're right. trying to do is wrong. We need to do what's right. Yeah. Um, there's serious implications for the public at large when government fails to do their job and a perfect example of that is, did you see that guy in, I think it was Las Vegas, that was being sentenced uh, and that he jumps over the yes, thing? Yes, yes, I did see that. The, yep. the judge. And the perfect example of, you know, fortunately, she was going to do the right thing. But why was the guy out in the first place to reoffend right. is the question I have. Like, we keep giving criminals this third fourth fifth bite at the apple mm -hmm. and expect different results like and part of the punishment isn't necessarily to rehabilitate that is something that can happen right but it's more to protect the public absolutely that's yes. the whole point of uh you know sentencing and guidelines and here's a guy who shouldn't have been out in the first place and he almost ripped her head off I mean, right and we see that over and over and over again you can bring it closer to home with the killer of sean gannon you right. know in mar in my village in marston's mills you know right. yarmouth cop shot by a repeat offender yeah. um, who had you know hundreds of priors on his list but he was out among the public um, right. and we see that over and over again and people are getting killed as a result of that you know this lax enforcement of our existing laws and yet the legislature wants to put on more laws, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. The whole thing is backwards, to mm -hmm. be honest with you. 100%. Um, so 
we can call, write letters, email, troll social media, support your campaign. Yes. What else can we do? <laughs> uh, make- um, tell your friends, you know, get more people involved. Um, and I think it's important to have other groups involved, not necessarily just, you know, Second Amendment, you know, rights groups or gun clubs or anything. Even, you know, I think like the Boy Scout groups should be speaking out because there are provisions about youth, you know, possession of firearms in that legislation as well that the House passed. So, you know, groups that aren't necessarily gun groups, if we can get some of those groups to stand up and speak out against it as well, Mm. that may resonate more so than just, well, it's just the gun groups who are speaking out. You know, if you get other citizens to come up and say that they're against this, who don't have any explicit connection to a gun shop or anything else, that might mean even more. Um, it's just a just a numbers game, really. If we can overwhelm them with people who are concerned, that that's the only chance to try to stop it. Yeah, one of the things that I think really stopped it in its tracks the first time was the fact that 351 police chiefs and 100 campus police chiefs came out against it. Yes, and hopefully they hold the line and they really continue uh, to to oppose this bill. Um, I, I really do think it's important that they don't falter and, you know, they don't write in back some other legislation that makes police officers exempt and all of a sudden gives them the warm fuzzy again. And now they're, they're in support of it. Cause I think I'm a little disheartened in one way that police chiefs do think the relative low murder rate with firearms in our state is a result of gun control because nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, we live in close proximity to the best healthcare system in the world. Mm-hmm. The bullet to skin contact in Massachusetts is actually pretty high. And we are the most violent state in New England. And so to say that we're there's not more gun crime or gun-related deaths is a result of gun control, nothing could be further from the truth. In mm-hmm. fact, when gun control was really implemented in 1998, the the level of gun control that we have now and have been living under, uh, violent crime with firearms has gone up 120%. Mm-hmm. And it was on the downward trend before that, but it is hockey sticked up. And so I hope that we can get that message through to the police departments and the police chiefs to say, hey, hold the line because all this is doing is making it more dangerous for us to, to, um, to have, you know, uh, absolutely. And more dangerous for our police as well. I mean, that affects them for sure. Um, and I think that's a great point and that helped as well as, you know, the squabbling between the two chambers over the summer and all it helped to delay things, but, um, it sometimes feels like we're headed towards an inevitable conclusion that they're going to just pass this stuff, but it is important to fight every right. step of the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool, man. Well, um, I'll leave you guys with this. Uh, G webs has a great point about your reluctance to ask for money is a capitalist monetary participation in our system of government is a privilege. We have when we don't take advantage of it. Um, we are, at most risk of losing it for mandatory representation so that's uh that's a good point and um i think that that's something we need to remember is we get that right to participate with our hard-earned dollars and uh 
and sponsor and support the representation that we want to see represent mm -hmm. us best. Yep. And uh, if we don't do that, we're missing out on one other form of representative government. So, absolutely. Right, well, you... I I hope he's gonna you know make a contribution. Then <laughs> there you go. You have to put on notice. <laughs> you're on the spot. <laughs> uh, doesn't matter that you're in Arizona. Uh, well. So anyway, um, well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Chris. And uh, tell everyone your website again one more time. Yeah, thank you very much. It's votelozon.com. That's vote, L-A-U-Z-O-N.com. Awesome. All right. And uh, thank you all for joining the show. I appreciate everyone tuning in each and every week. Um, it's awesome to have such a lively crowd. We had a great participation in the chat today and uh, some calls and uh, great guests. So, Thanks, guys. We'll be back next week for Rapid Fire. And don't forget, this Sunday, noon to one, Rapid Fire Radio goes local radio station, WXTK 95.1. So you want to check out the show then. All right. God bless. We will see you next week, and hopefully I'll see you Sunday. Oh, and we have a special bonus content um, this Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll put out a message about that. So you don't want to miss that big announcement. Breaking news. And uh, so anyway. All right. Enough for now. My throat is dry and I got to go home. And God bless. We'll see you next time. <laughs>